most merciful, gracious, loving, wonderful Father. Thank you, Father, for being such a merciful and loving God. I pray, Father, that you will bless this study that we are about to engage in as we wrap up studying the preaching and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. I pray, Father, that we will study very carefully these last couple of chapters in Acts. I pray, Father, that in all things that we do, in this study and in our everyday lives, it is to your glory and your honor. I continue to pray, Father, for the sick and the hurting, those who are facing depression or anxiety or loneliness. I pray, Father, that you will comfort these folks in a special way and use your people to comfort one another. Thank you, Father, for your Bible. Thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for our sins and who makes salvation possible for us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening. Good evening, dear friends. Thank you for tuning in this evening to another Bible class video. We are wrapping up our series of lessons that we've been engaged in through the month of August on the Apostle Paul's preaching. We've been considering his ministry, his missionary journeys, the things that the Lord used him to do 2,000 years ago in the first century. I especially have enjoyed teaching these classes. The Apostle Paul is one of my favorite Bible characters. I also have enjoyed it because we are reading the book of Acts currently in our Bible reading at the Monta Vista Church of Christ. And so those of you who are part of the Monta Vista family, I hope these studies will help you uh, understand your readings better. I hope they will help motivate you to continue reading the book of Acts, and they will help you glean as many lessons as possible out of Luke's wonderful, wonderful account. If you have your Bible with you this evening, and I certainly hope that you do, go ahead and check it out. Go in your Bible to Acts chapter 27. Will you go in your Bible to Acts chapter 27? We're going to look at the last two chapters in the book of Acts in our study this evening. If you remember, after being denied, after being denied a fair hearing before the Jews in Jerusalem, and after being denied a fair hearing before Felix and Festus and Caesarea Maritima, by the time we get to Acts chapter 27, the Apostle Paul has been able to successfully appeal his case to Caesar. He has been able to successfully appeal his case to the emperor in the city of Rome. If you remember in Acts chapter 19 and verse number 21, there, while in Ephesus, the apostle Paul expressed his desire to one day visit the city of Rome. He expressed his desire to one day be able to preach the gospel in Rome, and now he's going to have his opportunity. He's going to have his opportunity to go and visit the city of Rome, only he's going to be visiting as a prisoner. He's going to be going to Rome in chains because he was a servant of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So here in Acts chapter 27, we see that after spending two years in prison in Caesarea Maritima, he's on his way to Rome. 
He's appealed his case to Caesar, only he's not going to Rome alone. He's not going to Rome by himself. You see, there are some brethren who are going with Paul to Rome. Luke is with Paul. I think we have strong evidence to conclude this. When you read Acts 27 and verse number 1, the Bible says when it was decided that we, notice how Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, he says we, the implication of that is he's with Paul at this time. We would set sail for Italy. They proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to the centurion of Augustine, of the Augustine cohort named Julius. So notice how because this book is now being written in the first person, Luke, the writer of the book, he's clearly with Paul. Luke, the wonderful and beloved physician. Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. He is with Paul, as well as another Christian named Aristarchus. Aristarchus is also with Paul. He's mentioned in verse number 2 of this chapter. He's also mentioned in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10. You see, the book of Colossians is one of the letters that Paul penned while he was imprisoned in Rome. It's Colossians is one of the prison epistles. And in Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 10, Paul calls Aristarchus his fellow prisoner. Again, the implication of that language is Aristarchus was with Paul while he was in prison in Rome. In fact, let us emphasize that point. Let us emphasize and remember that Paul, he's a prisoner at this time. He's a prisoner on this journey and that means that he's under the custody of the Romans. He's under the custody of a centurion named Julius. We see that in verse number one of this chapter and also in verse number three. Now, Julius, who is mentioned here in this text, he's someone that I think we can safely conclude, especially as we keep reading the chapter, he likes Paul, he has respect for Paul. Even though Paul is a prisoner, Julius is gonna give him some favorable treatment. And so Paul is on his way to Rome. Now, I'm going to put on the slide a map. This is a map of Paul's journey from Caesarea Maritima to Rome. I'm going to put this up at the end of the class as well. I just want you to get an idea right now of the path Paul and the crew are going to take as they make their way to Rome. Paul has appealed to Caesar. This is the path he's going to take to meet, to meet the emperor. Now, this journey here, this journey began in Caesarea Maritima. Paul was in prison there for two years, and he's going to go north. The Romans are going to take Paul, as well as Luke and Aristarchus, north 75 miles to a place called Sidon. When Paul gets to Sidon, he's going to be given special freedom from Julius to spend some time with his friends. He's going to be able to spend some time with some brethren. Now, due to contrary winds, after the ship departs from Sidon, it's going to sail northeast to Cyprus. If you remember, Paul preached the gospel 
in Cyprus on his first missionary journey. They then will sail along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia. These are other places where Paul also preached on both his first and second missionary journeys. The ship is going to sail along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, and it's going to land in Myra in Lycia. That's Acts chapter 27, verse number 5. After switching ships, they sailed between Sinaitis, Rhodes, and southward toward, toward Crete. That's Acts chapter 27, verses 6 through 7. Paul preached in Crete. If you remember, he preached the gospel on Crete. He went through the whole island, actually. And as they went southward toward Crete, they came to a place called Fair Havens near Lycia. Now, it's important to understand that during this time of the year, sea travel on the Mediterranean Sea was very dangerous. It appears that this journey took place in the fall, maybe around November or so. And sea travel during this time of the year was very, very dangerous. Because that was the case, Paul advised the crew. He advised Julius and the rest of his crew to delay the journey so they didn't have to risk losing lives and, and cargo. Well, Julius didn't listen to Paul. He didn't feel Paul knew what he was talking about. He didn't feel Paul had any kind of experience when it came to, to these kind of matters. And so he ignored his warning, which would wind up being a mistake. And the main reason why Julius ignored Paul's warnings was because the Bible says he wanted to spend the winter at a harbor called the Phoenix. He wanted to spend the winter at the Phoenix. But due to a violent wind named Euroquillo, the ship was driven off course. Julius did not get to successfully execute his plan. The ship was driven off course because of this violent wind that they named Euroquillo. And they found shelter at a harbor at a place called Claudia. There at Claudia, Clauda, they were able to get control of the ship. They were barely able to do this. And then the violent winds carried the ship across the Mediterranean Sea for two weeks. For two weeks, Paul and the rest of the people on this ship, they're being tossed to and fro across the Mediterranean Sea. This was a very stressful period in the life of the Apostle Paul. He's a prisoner. He's making his way to Rome, and his ship is being tossed to and fro across, across the sea. It was so bad that the crew started to unload cargo in the sea to lighten the load. The experience of the storm was so severe that the scripture says in verse number 20, they didn't see the sun or the stars for many days. This was a very stressful time. Many of these men probably thought they were going to die. But Paul gave the crew a very hopeful message. I want you to go to Acts chapter 27, and I want you to notice what it said, beginning with verse number 21. In Acts chapter 27, beginning with verse number 21, after Luke says that for many days they didn't see the sun or the stars because of this terrible storm. 
It says when they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice. I told you so, in other words. And not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage. Take courage, Paul says. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, he stood before me saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all, all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on a certain island. So notice, notice carefully what Paul tells these people during the time when they're going through this terrible storm on the sea. They have not seen the sun or the stars for about two weeks during this terrible time when everybody's afraid and they all probably thought they were going to die. Paul assured them that everything was going to be okay. He said, you take courage because an angel of the God I serve has spoken to me and he has promised me that everything's going to be okay. We're going to lose the ship, but everybody will survive. Here Paul relays the message that God has promised him that everybody on, on the ship, the crew, the guards, the prisoners, they're going to survive. So that must have been a very encouraging thing for Paul to know, and it must have been very encouraging for Luke and Aristarchus to hear that. And so the ship continues on to Malta, a little island called Malta. Malta is about 500 miles from Clauda. Remember, Clauda was where they found shelter for a time and where they were able to finally get control of the ship before it started uh, losing control or going to and fro across the Mediterranean Sea for two weeks. Malta is about 500 miles from Clauda. And this part of the journey, if you thought the last part or the previous part was stressful, you hadn't seen anything yet. Now the journey is going to get really stressful. And this is why probably it was very encouraging for Paul to hear from God that everything was going to be okay because the worst part of the trip hadn't even started yet when God relayed that message to his apostle. You see, as the ship continued towards Malta, some stressful events started to occur. First, the crew had been fasting for about two weeks during this whole time when they were just going all over the place across the Mediterranean Sea. The crew didn't eat. They fasted for 14 days, and finally, finally, Paul was able to encourage them to eat. He encouraged them to eat by first eating before them. And Acts 27, in verse number 35, in verse number 35, the Bible says this. After Paul said to them, after he reiterated to them that they should be encouraged because God told him that nobody was going to die on the sea. Verse 35 says, having said this, he took bread, he took some food, and gave thanks to God. He blessed the food in the presence of all, and he broke it, and he began to eat. And so Paul is eating here. And all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. All of us in the ship 
were 276 persons. And so after fasting for about two weeks, because of the Apostle Paul's encouragement, because the Apostle Paul reminded them of the promise of God, and because Paul ate food and blessed it before them, the crew, the passengers on the ship, they finally, they finally decided to eat. 276 people. They took courage, they ate, they gained some strength. But then, not long after that, the scripture says the ship strikes a reef and, and, it force, and forcing it aground. And so now we have the ship has been severely damaged. They're going down. As God said, they're going to lose this ship. It has struck a reef. And the soldiers start to panic. The Roman soldiers actually attempt to kill the prisoners so that they could not escape. But the centurion, Julius, who was favorable towards Paul, he prevented the soldiers from killing the prisoners. The scripture says he really did this out of kindness to Paul. He didn't want Paul to be killed. He wanted Paul to safely make it to Rome. And so because of Paul's example, because of his Christian character, he finds favor with, favor with Julius, and Julius prevents the guards from killing the prisoners. Instead of everyone being killed or instead of all the prisoners being killed, the Bible says that everyone was instructed by the centurion to swim or float on boards to the land. And as God promised, everybody on the ship survived. Even though the ship was severely damaged, even though they lost the ship at this time, the prisoners, the soldiers, the crew, everyone was able to make it safely to this little island of Malta. Now, that brings us to Acts 28. And I really, with Acts 27, there's a lot there. There's a lot in that chapter. It's 44 verses. And I just kind of gave you the highlights of it. There are some other details that I was not able to get to due to time. Uh, but that's not really the main thing I want to talk about in this video. I want to kind of just to give you some highlights of Acts 27. I want to show you some of the trials and tribulations that Paul went through on, the, on, this, on this trip to Rome. I mean, we're just talking about, we're talking about natural calamities here. But now I want to get to the, to the bulk of what I want to talk about tonight. And that's going to be in Acts 28. And so after... After safely making it to Malta, despite losing the ship and, and despite enduring a terrible storm on the Mediterranean Sea. In Acts 28, we're going to learn some very interesting things. And let's start here with what we know about Malta, this little island of Malta. You see, Malta, this island where Paul and Luke and Aristarchus and the Roman soldiers and the other prisoners are going to find shelter. It is an island that is only 17 miles wide. It's a very small island. But even though it's a very small island, it clearly, according to what the scripture says, was inhabited at this time. In fact, the natives of Malta were good people. They were very kind and they were very hospitable to Paul and his companions. During this time, it was cold and it was raining. And the natives provided Paul and his companions a fire, but 
out of the fire, while Paul was putting some wood onto the fire, a viper, a viper popped out and, and he latched on to Paul's hand. This is a deadly snake. This is a snake that when biting someone would almost kill them instantly. And when the natives of Malta saw this viper fastened onto Paul's hands, they took that to mean that Paul had to have been a bad man. Paul had to have been a murderer. He had to have been a criminal. He had to have been someone where he was getting what he deserved. Justice was now being played out because it wasn't for him to survive. He may have survived the storm, but that wasn't right. He needed to die because he, clear, he clearly was a, was a bad person. He was a criminal. That's what the people concluded when they saw this deadly snake latch on to Paul's hand, but when Paul miraculously healed himself and shook it off by the power of God, when he did not drop dead instantly, the people then switched their thinking and they went from thinking that Paul was a criminal who deserved to die to thinking that he had to have been a god. He had to have been someone of deity, of, of supernatural power. And so Paul certainly has the attention now of the people of the island. And he and his companions, he and Luke and Aristarchus and others, they stay on this island for about three months, for about 90 days. And during this time, Paul performs a lot of miracles. He heals many of the natives of Malta. In fact, he healed Publius, the lead man of the island. He healed this man's father. This man's father was terribly sick. He was, he was at the point of death, and the apostle Paul healed him. He healed him by the power of God, and he also healed many other people on Malta. Now, let me just say that we need to understand that even though Paul is performing a lot of miracles on this island, even though he's healing a lot of people on this island, he's not doing this just to be nice, just to help these people and and take some of their problems away. No, the main reason why Paul is performing these miracles, the main reason why he is healing these people is found in Mark, the 16th chapter. Jesus said that this kind of power would be possessed by his people and it will be possessed by them for a reason. In Mark, the 16th chapter, we find Jesus saying some parting words to his people before ascending into heaven to sit at the right hand of God. In Mark 16 and verse number 15, Jesus told his people, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized will be saved, but he who has disbelieved will be condemned. Now look at verse 17. Verse 17 says these signs, miraculous signs, miraculous demonstrations, they will accompany those who have believed. People like Paul. In my name, they will cast out demons. You can read about Paul casting a demon out of a slave girl in Acts 16. They will also speak with new tongues. You can read about the apostles speaking in tongues, speaking in foreign languages, 
that they had never learned before in Acts chapter 2. It says they will pick up serpents. Isn't that what you find in Acts 28? The apostle Paul being bitten by a deadly serpent, and yet he doesn't die from the bite wound. Instead, he shakes it off. He heals himself by the power of God. Jesus says they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. That's what Paul is doing in Malta. He's laying hands on the sick, and they will recover. Jesus says his people would be able to do these kinds of things. And why would they be able to do these kinds of things? Look at, look at verse 19. So then when the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God and they, his disciples, his people, they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them, the scripture says, and confirmed the word, confirmed the word, Confirm the word by the signs that follow. Confirm the word. That's why people like Paul were able to perform miracles. The purpose of the miracles was to confirm the gospel. It was to confirm that the message Paul preached came from God. That's the main reason why Paul is performing these miracles at Malta, Paul is healing people. He healed Pupilus' father, the lead man of Malta. He healed his father. He healed many of the natives because he was demonstrating that the message he preached to them, and believe me, there is no doubt that Paul being the man that we know he was, he preached to those people. He was confirming that his message did come from God. And so Paul and his companions, they stay on Malta for three months. After three months of being there, Paul and Luke and the rest of the people, they began the last leg of the journey to Rome. When we move down the text, down to verse 11, when we move down to verse 11 and 12 and 13, we see that after, after they left Malta, they quickly reached Syracuse, then Regium, then Putilo, Putili, I'm sorry. These names are really hard to say. Putili, where they then disembark the ship. Now, after they reached Putili, they, they left the ship, and there Paul was able to stay with some of the brethren. He was able to stay with some people that he knew, Christians, for seven days. Notice again the favorable treatment that Julius is give, giving him. Julius trusts Paul so much, and Paul's a prisoner, keep in mind. He's still under the custody of the Roman government. And he, he is so trusted by Julius that Julius, you know, he doesn't feel like he has to watch him all the time. Now, probably, I think it's pretty clear that Paul did have a guard with him, but Julius gives him some freedom. Julius allows him to stay with some of the brethren for about a week. And that's important because that would have enabled Paul to worship with the brethren. That would have enabled him to be with them on the first day of the week to take the Lord's Supper like we found him doing with the brethren in Troas in Acts 20 and verse 7. And so Paul has been able to stay with some Christians. He's able to worship God. He's being shown some, some good treatment by the Roman guards. 
when he was at this place, brethren in Rome, they started to, to, to know that he was in town. The brethren in Rome heard that Paul was approaching the city soon, and so they went out to meet him. In verse number 15, the scripture says, And the brethren, when they heard about us, Luke says, they came from there as far as the, the market of Appius and the three ends to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and, took, and he took courage. And so as the brethren are coming from all over the area to meet Paul because they hear he's in town, that really encourages Paul. He thanks God that that he has lived through this, these terrible moments on the sea and that the brethren are happy to see him and they're coming from everywhere to, to visit with him and encourage him as a prisoner in chains. Paul is very encouraged at this time and he needed some encouragement, believe me. Now, Paul made it to chains, made it to Rome in chains, I'm sorry. He made it to Rome in chains in order to stand trial before Caesar. And even though he's in chains, Paul, as he always did, he's going to preach the gospel. The chains are not going to stop him from preaching the word of God. In fact, he spent much of his time, much of the time he was in chains, preaching the gospel. He preached the gospel to the Jews and to the Gentiles. The Bible says that Paul was able to have his own rented house, and he was able to have visitors in this house. Again, I think we can safely conclude that Luke is with him. Luke continues to write in the first person throughout this part of Acts. Luke is with him. During his two-year stay under house arrest in Rome, he wrote at least four letters to the brethren. We're going to talk more about those letters at the end of the class. When you get to verses 17 through 22, you see that when Paul uh, got to, to Rome and once his accommodations were, were made, one of the first things he did was he met with the Jewish leaders in Rome. The Jewish leaders in Rome evidently hadn't heard about what happened to Paul in Jerusalem. And so Paul wanted to tell them about why he was there. He wanted them to know that he was there because of false accusations made against him by the leaders, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. He wanted them to know that he was a prisoner in Rome because he preached about Jesus, because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it appears, based on what the text says, that the Jewish leaders in Rome are hearing about these matters for the very first time. And so on one particular day, verse number 23 tells us that the Jews, they came to Paul to hear him explain more about the kingdom of God. They probably heard him explain to them how the kingdom of God was not a physical kingdom like many of the Jews thought at this time. Instead, it was a spiritual kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom where Jesus reigned as the king of kings and lord of lords. Paul taught them about the true nature of the kingdom of God. He also tried to persuade them that Jesus... Jesus of Nazareth, he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. He is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He is the one that Isaiah and, and Ezekiel and Daniel and all the prophets were talking about hundreds of years in advance. 
He was the son of God who would come into the world to carry out God's scheme of redemption. Paul used his opportunity to preach the gospel to the Jews and explain to them how Jesus is the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of the law and the prophets. And after hearing that message, the Bible says the Jews were divided. They were divided over Paul's preaching. Look at verse number 24, Acts 28 and verse number 24. After telling us that Paul spent a lot of time trying to persuade the Jews in Rome that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, verse 24 says some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. I love that verse because that is exactly how evangelism continues to work today. As we go out into the world preaching the gospel, as we go out into the world trying to persuade men to follow Jesus and to submit to his truth, we're going to be successful with some and unsuccessful with others. Some are going to be persuaded. Some are going to have on his hearts and carefully consider the evidence of the gospel. And then others are going to flat out reject it. What happened to Paul here is exactly what continues to happen when we preach the gospel today. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father, saying, Go to this people and say, You will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and their ears, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they may see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. What is Paul saying there to these Jews? Well, Paul is saying to those Jews who were rejecting the gospel. He's saying that you are the fulfillment of the words of Isaiah. He's saying that 700 years ago, as Isaiah spoke to your forefathers and said that they had hard hearts and they rejected the truth that he was preaching, Paul says that they were following the footsteps of, of their ancestors. They were following in the footsteps of their forefathers, those Jews of Isaiah's day who were rejecting the word of God that Isaiah preached these Jews in Paul's day were, were behaving just like them. They were rejecting the truth of God. They had closed their eyes and closed their ears to God's Messiah. And Paul says, that's on you. I can't make you obey the message. I just presented it to you. And if you reject it, I'm going to go on and preach it to people who will accept it. I'll preach it to the Gentiles. Remember, this is something that Paul says as, as he went from said as he went from place to place on his missionary journeys. He would always preach to the preach the gospel to the Jews first, and when they rejected that message, he then moved on to the Gentiles, and usually the Gentiles were more receptive to the truth. That's what went on on all three of Paul's missionary journeys, and that's also what's going on here in Acts twenty-eight. Paul says, "Since you Jews reject the truth." I will preach it to the Gentiles, and they will be more open-minded. They will receive it better. 
Now, Paul is given much liberty to continue preaching as a Roman prisoner over the next two years. I want you to look at the last two verses of Acts 28. These are some very, very interesting verses. And verse number, we'll look at verse 29. Verse 29. It says, when he had spoken these words, when he had told these Jews that they are the fulfillment of the words of Isaiah, the Jews departed, having a great dispute amongst themselves. Verse 30, and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. I want you to pay close attention to the last two verses of the book of Acts. I don't know about you, but to me, the book of Acts ends in a very weird way. It reminds me of watching a movie and you're seeing all this action take place. You're seeing all these things go on and then you get to the end of the movie and it just doesn't give you what you believe to be a very good conclusion. It doesn't finish the story. It doesn't tell you the outcome of everything. Let me ask you a question. Why does Acts end like this? Why does it end with what appears to be an unfinished story? What happened to Paul? Was Paul ever released? Did he ever get out of custody? What happened to him exactly as he stayed in Rome for these two years, as he appealed his case to Caesar? Luke doesn't tell us that. Acts ends in a very peculiar way. And so as you think about that, I want to offer you two thoughts as to why Luke ends the book this way. Here are two things to think about. First, I think when it comes to what happened to Paul, because Luke doesn't tell us if Paul is released or not. And I think that even though Luke doesn't tell us, we can safely conclude that Paul was released. We can safely conclude because Paul writes some other, other letters after his release. And we're going to talk about those letters in just a couple of minutes. And so even though Luke doesn't tell us that Paul was released after he appealed his case to Caesar, I think the evidence clearly shows us that he was. He was released for a short time before he would later be executed by the Roman government in about 67 or 68 AD. So we can conclude that Paul was released, but let's go back to this ending. I think this ending that Luke gives us, even though it can be frustrating initially, I think it's intentional. I think Luke, the great and smart and wise and inspired physician, he ends this book this way on purpose. He wants us to understand that the story that began in Acts chapter 1, it did not stop with the Apostle Paul. 
It did not stop with the Apostle Paul being locked up in prison. Luke wants us to understand that the preaching of the gospel did not stop even though Paul was in jail. Even though Paul was in a rented quarters for two years under house arrest, he continued to preach the gospel. He continued to preach it to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And guess what? We continue to preach it even to this day. I think with an ending like this, we see from Luke that the book of Acts is an intentional, unfinished story. It is an unfinished story. It is a story that continued on after Paul's time in Rome as a prisoner. It is a story that continued after the death of all the apostles. It's a story that continues even to this day in 2020 as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. We, we continue to add more and more chapters to the great story of Acts. The book of Acts is an unfinished story. It is a story that will not conclude until the Lord comes back as we continue to baptize people and help people come into the kingdom of God, we contribute to this great story. And so Luke wants us to know that Acts, Acts is an unfinished story. It's a story that, that, that did not stop, even though Paul's locked up at, at the end of verse number 30 and 31. And so, Let's look at these places where Paul went very quickly. Notice the map carefully. We have him starting at Caesarea. You see Caesarea there. He says Caesarea, that's towards the right of your screen. He goes north. He's going northwest. He's going past Cyprus. And I made a mistake earlier. It wasn't Cyprus, it was Crete where Paul preached on his first missionary journey, so forgive me for that. But he does sail past Cyprus. He rides the coast of Cilicia, Pisidia. Remember, they spend some time in Myra. They then go between Rhodes and Canitis. Canitis. They go, they go south to the southeast part of Crete. They spend some time in Lycia uh, because of the, of the winds, the contrary winds. They then make their way uh, across the Mediterranean Sea. But for two weeks, they couldn't see the sun or the stars. It was a bad storm going on on the sea. And they're being tossed all over the place for two weeks. During that time, the angel assured Paul that everything was going to be okay. They would safely make it to their destination. The ship eventually uh, suffered shipwreck uh, near the island of Malta. They had to swim, and they spent three months at, on Malta where Paul did miracles, and he, he certainly preached the gospel. After three months, they made their way to Syracuse, Regium, and then Paul's able to finally make his way into Rome. So that is the course that the Bible says, or the path the Bible says Paul took. Now, remember, during all of these events, Paul is, is writing some letters. He's writing letters on his second missionary journey, on his third missionary journey. 
He also writes some letters during his time as a prisoner in Rome. On his second missionary journey, he wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, probably also the book of Galatians. On his third missionary journey, he wrote 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He wrote Romans. And during his time as a prisoner, he wrote at least four letters. He wrote the letter to the Ephesian church and the letter to the Colossian church or the church at Colossae. Those letters are about the headship of Jesus over his church and the glory of the Lord's church and the glory of the Lord as the head over his church. He wrote the book of Philippians, a letter that's about how to have joy even while suffering, even while suffering in your life. He also wrote Philemon. He wrote a letter to a Christian who was a slave owner and he was urging Philemon to receive Onesimus and kindness because Onesimus was also a Christian. And so you could have had conflict between this slave master and this slave during this time. And so this is a letter about brotherly love and forgiveness. Paul certainly wrote those four epistles while imprisoned in Rome for two years. And then after his imprisonment, he wrote the book of Titus and First and Second Timothy. These are called the preacher epistles. With these letters, Paul is trying to encourage these, these young preachers. He's trying to Tell them about the work of a preacher and how to be devoted and, and faithful to that work because he's passing the baton. Paul knows he's about to die soon. And so he wants these, these two preachers to take up the mantle and continue on in the service of God. So that kind of gives you some background of Paul's, Paul's letters there and when those letters were written. As we conclude now, I just want to thank all of you for uh, joining me in these studies through the month of August. I really appreciate it. I know it was a lot of material to cover, but I hope these lessons have helped you. I hope they have helped you appreciate, once again, geography and just how much geography is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, I have not been able to visit any of the places or most of the places where Paul did uh, his work, but I hope to go to those places one day if the Lord will bless me. I would love to see places like Corinth and Ephesus uh, and Thessalonica in person. And so appreciate the geography and also, also be inspired to do evangelism. Be inspired to be someone who shares the gospel and tries to help people come to God, just like Paul did in his life. What a wonderful what a wonderful goal to have in life to help bring as many people to God as possible. Now, this coming Lord's Day, we're going to start a new series of lessons. Our theme this year as a congregation has been experiencing the fullness of Christ. We've been trying to learn more about Jesus this year as a church, and we've been trying to draw closer and closer to Jesus. And so in an effort to continue to help us think about that theme and accomplish that, that theme and goal this year, I'm going to spend the month of September uh, talking with you about some of the parables of Jesus. Jesus told many parables while he was on the earth preaching and teaching the gospel. And so through the month of September, until we get back to our normal Bible classes here at the building, I'm going to be talking with you about the parables of Jesus. I'm going to share with you some of those parables, the meanings of those parables, and how those parables can help us in our lives today. And so I hope you will join me starting this Sunday, Lord willing as we'll be looking at some of the teachings of our Lord. Thank you for tuning in this evening.